great people are ordinary people who follow Jesus. Let's recap what we've learned about Peter so far. Peter was a sinful man, but Jesus still called him. Peter was a family man who invited people into God's family. Peter was an obedient man who walked with Jesus. Peter was a blessed man because he recognized Jesus. Peter was also a selfish man who chose to follow God. Today we'll see Peter was a terrified man who found clarity in Jesus. As I said, great people are ordinary people who follow Jesus. But ordinary people are terrified when we are vulnerable. I spent some time thinking about times in my life when I've been really terrified. At first, my mind went back to an experience I had with a friend in hospice. I've told that story before, so I spent some time trying to think of another time. If you haven't heard my hospice experience, if you ask, I'll tell you about it over coffee sometime. The memory I eventually went back to was at a summer camp, maybe in fourth or fifth grade. I was out rafting on a lake with some other boys, and someone decided it would be fun to start pushing people out of the raft. We were wearing life jackets, but that didn't matter to me because the lake was deep and I couldn't swim. We were also using an inflatable raft, so there wasn't a lot of places to grab on the side. But I found something to hold on to when I got pushed over the side, and I held on literally for my life. I still remember the boy trying to push me all the way off the raft. We were face to face. He had no idea I couldn't swim. And if he hadn't been smaller than me, he may have drowned me. If I hadn't made myself more vulnerable to him by yelling, I can't swim, he might not have backed off and let me back into the raft. There were other boys in and around the raft, but that was an intimate moment between me and that one other boy. I'm leaving his name out of the story on purpose. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Remembering that day on the lake and that time in hospice made a connection for me. Perhaps the more intimate the situation, the more vulnerable we become. And the more vulnerable we become, the greater the chance for terror. This is especially true when there's an imbalance of power. Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden because... Separated from God by disobedience, they had become powerless. Elijah sees God in the temple and says, Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm an unclean man from an unclean people, and I've seen God. The people at Israel at Sinai are close to God. They see the dark cloud and the lightning. The earth shakes, and they are terrified. They say to Moses, How about you talk to God and we back away from the mountain? When God reveals himself... I see my vulnerability and that God is invulnerable. And that's terrifying. I especially want us to recall the Israelites at Mount Sinai today because that story is a direct parallel to the story of the transfiguration. And it will help us understand why Peter is terrified and how Jesus brings him to clarity. Let's read Matthew 17, 1-13. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, 
Lord, it's good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. I'm perhaps being a bit generous by starting with saying this. Our first point, Peter is confused. We know from the other Gospels that tell this story that Peter is afraid from the moment Jesus is transformed. But what comes out of Peter is first not fear, but confusion. Jesus, Peter, James, and John are not on Mount Sinai, but allow me to walk you through how this is a Mount Sinai experience. After six days, Jesus takes his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a high mountain. Exodus 24.16 says, The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called Moses from the cloud. Jesus only brings three people up with him to the mountaintop. And Exodus 24.1 says, God instructed Moses to come up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, who were the high priest and his two oldest sons, while the rest of Israel, including the 70 elders of Israel, bowed in worship at a distance. Then, on the mountain, Jesus is shown in his glory and in the company of glorified beings, Moses and Elijah. It says, he was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And again, the parallel, Exodus 24:16 says that the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and he was with angels, according to Deuteronomy 33:2 and Psalm 68:17. Now, Moses had at least experienced God's presence before at the burning bush. And he had some trepidation then. Now with all the lightning and clouds, the power of God fully displayed, of course the people of Israel are scared. Peter, James, and John are now going to see Jesus in that kind of power. Think about this. Peter has been seeing Jesus perhaps every day for months or years by now. But Peter has never seen Jesus like this. Jesus is changed, transformed. The Greek word is our word for metamorphosis. That's the word we use for a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. A caterpillar and a butterfly are genetically the same being, but the metamorphosis reveals its true and final form. Perhaps the veil of who Jesus is is lifted for a time. Or perhaps the disciples are seeing into the spiritual realm where time is not marked as we experience time. 
Jesus is like his appearance after the resurrection here, as described in Revelation 1, 13 through 15, which says, And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. And the hair of his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. That describes glorious Jesus. Jesus' face shines like the sun. And according to Exodus 32, 29-30, when Moses came out from the Lord's presence, the skin of his face shone. And the people were afraid to come near him. And Jesus is not merely reflecting the glory of God. He is the glory of God. His clothes are bright white, symbolizing his purity. And he stands with the great prophets of the past, Moses and Elijah. Prophets who enter the spiritual realm, one through death and the other taking up, taken up in a whirlwind. Faced with this, what Peter says next shows his confusion. Peter offers to build shelters for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. We don't know why he offers to do this. Um, perhaps because Peter might not know himself. Mark's account tells us that he was so afraid that he didn't know what he was saying. Peter is confused. So he offers God and his two friends shade or a shrine, perhaps. Actually, that offer is not too crazy, even when it's born out of confusion. When God and two angels come to visit Abraham in Genesis 18, Abraham offers them worship, water, shade, and food. So Peter's not crazy. He's just really unsure about what to do. And Abraham's not a terrible example to try and follow because God's presence didn't kill Abraham. I read a story about a university student who was walking around campus wearing a t-shirt with a large K printed on it. When someone asked him what the K stood for, he said, confused. But the questioner replied, confused is not spelled with a K. The student answered, you don't know how confused I am. Remember, Peter had already recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, but he had never seen Jesus as the living God. Seeing Jesus without recognizing he is God is confusing, and that's still confusing for people today. The only way to understand everything that Jesus said and did, and the only way to have faith in him is to see Jesus as God. Otherwise, it's all just confusing. How could Jesus be born of a virgin? That doesn't make sense. How did Jesus heal sicknesses and raise the dead? That doesn't make sense. How could Jesus walk on water and feed over 5,000 people? That doesn't make sense. How did Jesus cast out demons? That doesn't make sense. How was Jesus, the son of a carpenter of Nazareth, able to teach with such authority and challenge the authority of the religious leaders of his day? That doesn't make sense. With the great following Jesus had, how could he let himself get railroaded and executed? That doesn't make sense. How could Jesus rise from the dead? That doesn't make sense, unless Jesus is God. Seeing Jesus without recognizing he is God is confusing. So also, seeing the transformation of Jesus, or the transformation of a Jesus follower could be confusing until I tell people, you know, well, Jesus can change me because Jesus is God, creator and savior of all. Otherwise, people wouldn't understand why my life is different. 
So ordinary people can follow Jesus, and following Jesus brings clarity to my confusion. Peter's confused, but Peter's also afraid. Peter's confusion may have come from seeing God in Jesus, but Peter's fear definitely comes from hearing God. Peter has experienced a switch from God seen to God unseen, and the unseen is actually more terrifying. Here's a little announcement. I'm applying to begin earning my doctorate. I believe, and others believe, that I'm smart enough to do the work. I know the financial cost. I've read the course syllabuses. I've even talked to the director of admissions and the seminary president. What I'm most concerned about is what I don't know. There's one professor that I'll be working with that I'm unsure of his expectations. When I took this professor during seminary, I earned an A-, minus, which was my lowest grade. But I'm not sure how I earned that grade. I had instructor, instructors that were more difficult, but I aced their courses because I knew what they wanted me to learn and what they wanted me to produce. I told the seminary president, I don't think I can succeed spending three years guessing at what I'm supposed to do. In fact, the idea of that is just scary to me. Looking back to Peter, why is he now afraid? Well, let's look back at our parallel story of the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Exodus 20:18 says, All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And Exodus 24:16, The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. See, Mount Sinai had gotten dark with these cloud and noisy with God's presence was manifest there. And that not being able to see what was going on made people afraid. Peter and the disciples experienced hearing the voice of God at the baptism of Jesus. So why is this experience any different? Well, verse 5 says, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. And the voice from the cloud says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Peter went from being able to see Jesus, even though Jesus was glorified and that was confusing, at least he could still see Jesus, to being surrounded by this cloud or fog. Peter can't see Jesus anymore. And now the voice of God the Father is saying, You better listen. When Jesus speaks, I speak. The two things I want us to realize in this experience. First, listening to Jesus is listening to God. For anyone, Christian or not, anyone that desires to hear from God, who wants to know what God would say to me, we have the words. What Jesus says is what God says. Now that may be confusing if I don't recognize that Jesus is God. But it's the truth. And what a wonderful thing that we have the actual spoken words of God and we can read them anytime. The second point is hearing God without Jesus is frightening. Why are some people so hostile to the words of the Bible? Why do people think God is all judgment and punishment? Why do people think God wants to prevent me from expressing my humanity instead of realizing that God desires me to perfectly express my humanity? That may be because when we hear the words of God without hearing them through the love, salvation, and transformation of Jesus, 
All I'm left with is the punishment for my disobedience, and that's terrifying. Hearing God without Jesus is frightening, but we have Jesus. Following Jesus brings clarity to confusion and fear. And it's at this point Peter has clarity. Peter has seen Jesus as God. Peter has heard God. Lastly, Peter is touched by Jesus. This is where the terror of intimacy and vulnerability become peace. Verse 7, Jesus came up and touched them and said, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So the disciples asked him, What then do the scribes say? Oh, excuse me. Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. See, when Jesus touches them and says, Get up, don't be afraid, that's when the disciples look up and the cloud is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone, and their fears are gone. It's just Jesus. And Jesus tells them not to tell this story to the rest of the disciples until after the resurrection. I believe for two reasons. First, to keep jealousy from forming. The disciples will be competing to see who sits at Jesus' side when the kingdom comes. And Peter, James, and John's mountaintop experience won't help settle things down. Second, just as Moses had spent time with God before bringing the Israelites to Sinai and thus could assure them, After the resurrection, Peter, James, and John can assure the rest of the disciples who Jesus is because they've already seen him in glory. So Peter will have clarity after the resurrection. But Jesus also gives him clarity in the present. Notice the questions and understandings the disciples have after this mountaintop experience. They ask Jesus about the prophecy of Elijah coming before the Messiah. Jesus explains the prophecy referred to John the Baptist, but he never says John the Baptist. And just as John was killed by the leader, so also he, the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be killed by the leaders. The disciples understand. They figure out that it's John the Baptist without Jesus even telling them. When I tutor people, I find usually people are pretty stressed out by the time they call a tutor. I'm failing my class. I can't figure this out. They're often frustrated and scared. Before I can teach, I've got to get the student to calm down. Once they calm down, they can listen and learn. And if I've done my work well, they begin to understand and have courage. That's Jesus saying to Peter, get up. Don't be afraid. In John 8, uh, 31-32, Jesus said to all his disciples, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There are many forms of freedom, but certainly Jesus brings freedom from fear and confusion. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. 2 Timothy 1.7 Following Jesus brings clarity 
to confusion and fear. Confusion and fear don't just come when there's a chance of getting injured or losing my life. In any intimate relationship, there's vulnerability. I'm not going to be graphic here, but for those of us who are married, think of your honeymoon night. Most people really have to trust someone to take off all your clothes in front of them and all the rest that goes with that. And that's a holy and sacred situation. And yet there can also be fear. So, too, facing God is a terrifying but holy experience. But faithful, faithfully following Jesus brings clarity. We're going to pray from Psalm 51, which describes that intimate and vulnerable moment a disobedient person finds him or herself face to face with God. Let's pray. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my pride. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you, you are proved right when you speak and justify when you judge. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. God of my salvation, my tongue will sing your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Amen. If this message has encouraged you to explore more, I invite you to check out Living Stones, the discipleship pathway of Heartwood Church. If you've never experienced the presence of Jesus, check out the Faith Stone. If you're wanting to explore your fears or peace or other emotions, check out the Emotion Stone. And if you're looking for a deep life transformation, there's the Transformation Stone. Those final two stones are both focused around spending time in the intimate presence of God. Now I'd like to leave you with this blessing. Now may the Lord remember us and bless us. For he blesses all those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike.